Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. We're going to continue our series this afternoon uh, on what Jesus can do for you, uh, what the gospel is intended to accomplish in our lives, and uh, how we should be communicating that uh, to those that we work with in the world around us. We focused in on this passage here in Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes from in Luke 4 at the beginning of his ministry in the synagogue of Nazareth. Uh, And he uses this passage, this prophecy, to define his mission and his ministry here on earth. We talked about some of these phrases already and how they apply to the gospel. We talked about the gospel being good news to the poor or afflicted, to the, the humble and lowly the poor in spirit. We've talked last uh, week about the gospel binding up the brokenhearted, bringing healing healing to those whose lives have been broken by sin. But today I want us to focus on the next phrase in this passage. He says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. How did Jesus accomplish this? How does the gospel accomplish liberty to the captives. Is it that Jesus in some way was involved in prison ministry? Is that what he's talking about here? Um, Is it that he was advocating simply for the the abolition of of slavery um, or releasing people from uh, oppressive and unjust governments? Uh, Not that those certainly would, would be good things to do, but here when Jesus uh, quotes this passage that he is going to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, he's not just talking about the, the physically imprisoned or the physically captive, he's talking about the spiritually captive. Just like he is the great physician, not because simply he was able to, to heal the blind or, or to heal the, the lepers, but because he healed us of the spiritual sickness of sin, of spiritual death. Jesus is the great liberator, our deliverer, our savior, because he ultimately is able to deliver us from spiritual captivity, spiritual enslavement and bondage to sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, as Peter is talking about false teachers here, he says that they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. That's the type of slavery that we're talking about here. This is what sin does. Sin promises us freedom, promises us you're not going to have to follow anybody's laws, anybody's standards. You're going to be able to do what you want. You're going to be able to seek fulfillment in whatever ways you want to find fulfillment. And yet, that promise of freedom turns out to be slavery to corruption, bondage to sin, the the weight of the the guilt and the consequences of our sins captures us and drags us down. And so as we communicate the gospel to the world around us, we need to realize that we are not just uh, sharing the gospel with broken people. We are dealing many times with enslaved people, people that are captured through their own lust, imprisoned by addiction, slaves to sin and corruption. Sometimes the old man can be very difficult 
to kill. And while we certainly recognize that baptism washes away the guilt of our sins, uh, the sinful habits of 30 or 40 years don't just magically vanish away in the waters of baptism. Uh, Though we may be forgiven of the guilt of those sins, uh, those sins may still threaten to pull us back into slavery. Uh, People that are struggling with with drug and alcohol addiction, uh, with pornography addiction, with uh, sinful habits and lifestyles of their past, many times it, it is going to be a process in helping them to overcome that slavery. Uh, that is threatening to drag them back into their old life. But the gospel does not just provide cleansing to those people. It provides them with the power to overcome that slavery. And so what I want us to focus on today is how the gospel empowers us to break the bonds of sin within our life, to help people that are dealing with addiction, with sinful habits uh, that they feel like they can't overcome. And as we minister to people that are imprisoned to sin, we can't just say, well, well, don't do that anymore. The Bible says to stop it. Uh, get your act together. You, you need to just uh, get rid of that sin. Uh, certainly that's true. Uh, but we need to be able to tell them more than that's wrong, stop it. Uh, we must, through the gospel, equip them and help them and strengthen them to overcome that temptation in their lives. And so this afternoon, we're going to focus on how the gospel empowers us and equips us to break the bonds of sinful lust within our life. I think the the first and most foundational way in which the gospel uh, provides us with power to gain this liberty from the captivity of sin is through the power of forgiveness. Uh, Before we can ever hope to be free from sin's enslaving influence, we must first be free from its guilt. Uh, This is the most foundational way in which Jesus provides spiritual liberty. He removes that burden of guilt that is weighing us down. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we'll start reading here in verse 6 in just a moment. Uh, We may be familiar with the the first part of this passage where uh, Paul talks about baptism being a burial with Christ, burying our old man of sin, being raised to walk in newness of life. But then he goes on to use another illustration for this this transformation that is going on here. In verse 6, He says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So here he uses this illustration of slavery and freedom from sin. When our sins are washed away, we are cleansed of its guilt and its consequences, um, in, in an eternal sense, that is. And death no longer has power over us. Uh, grace gives us hope of eternal life. But if we continue to read in this section, we see that it doesn't end there. Start with me in verse 12. 
Romans 6, verse 12, it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Yes, salvation, yes, that burial of the old man being raised to walk in newness of life breaks the bonds of guilt, takes the power of death away. And yet we must still choose actively to no longer be slaves of sin. We must choose to be slaves of righteousness, servants of God. So while salvation breaks the the power of sin, that removes the shackles, tears the chains apart and opens the door, we must walk out of that prison. And we must continue to live a life uh, in service and uh, servitude to God. You may think of it similar to the illustration in the Old Testament of Moses and uh, God releasing the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. What, what did God's grace accomplish for them there? Well, God's grace parted the Red Sea. God's grace sent those ten plagues to get Pharaoh to let them go. God's grace uh, guided them through the wilderness with that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire. His grace provided the manna in the wilderness, the water uh, flowing forth from the rock to provide for them. But we see that the Israelites still had to walk through the Red Sea. The Israelites still had to follow the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The Israelites still had to go out and to to feed on that bread of life that they had been given, to to drink of that water of life that they had been given. In the same way, God has parted the Red Seas for us. God has opened the doors of our prison. He has broken the chains that we can walk out. Um, And if, if His grace had not provided that power of forgiveness, there's no way that we could ever be free from sin. And yet, that grace motivates us, instructs us, teaches us uh, to live a life now free. So we can never be free if we are living under the guilt of our past sins. It's only when that guilt is removed that we are now empowered to to walk out of of bondage. Um, If we are continuing to allow that guilt to dwell within our hearts. If we're continuing to, to hide some sin that has not been forgiven, that, that has not been confessed to God, if guilt is still within our hearts, there is no way we are ever going to overcome sin. It's only through the power of forgiveness that we even have that opportunity. Turn your Bible with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 talks to us about the the power of confessing our sins before God. And here David describes the condition of his heart and his life while he was hiding sin, when the guilt, the burden of guilt was still upon him. In verse 3 through 5 we read, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice the contrast 
here. Uh, in verse 3 and 4, the condition that he was in before confessing his sins. Uh, his body wasting away, groaning as God's hand was heavy upon him. Uh, his vitality was drained. And yet, when he confessed his sins, when he opened up to God, when that guilt was removed, his sins were forgiven. Uh, we see down in verse 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. It's quite a transition from verse 3 and 4 all the way down to verse 11. If we are continuing to hide away sin, to lock it away in some back room of our heart, where nobody's allowed to open that door, nobody's allowed to, to look at that, that guilt is still there, we're not opening it up to God, allowing Him to take it away, our souls are being held hostage by the devil. Our spiritual life is going to be wasting away in captivity. We must allow God to remove the guilt of our sins. We're never going to have the strength to overcome sin unless we first allow God to remove the burden of guilt from us. It's only when we allow Jesus to fully and deeply wash us of our guilt that we can be empowered to live a new life. But coming to God with our sins is not all that's required to receive this liberty. Uh, we see that in addition to coming to God with our sins or receiving His forgiveness, uh, that the Bible talks about the power of accountability, the power of coming to others, to brethren, with our sin. Uh, confession of our sin should not be a one-time thing. It should be a continual practice, first to God, but also to our brethren. James chapter 5 and verse 16 here we read, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Here we're commanded to do this as a continual practice. Many times we want to take the second half of that verse. You know, that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much and we want to latch on to that. And yet, sometimes we're more hesitant to fully commit ourselves to the first part of the verse, to confessing our sins to one another. Brethren, when was the last time you fulfilled that command of confessing your sins to your brethren? You know, it doesn't mean that every time we sin, we must come forward before this congregation. Uh, but I think the principle that we see here is that we must make a continual practice of confessing our sins to our brother. Maybe not to the entire congregation, maybe uh, confessing my sins to my husband or my wife, my wife in, in my case, um, or, or to my brother or sister in Christ, to, to a, a family member, to, to someone within the church, somebody that I trust, somebody with wisdom uh, to help me through that sin. But brother, this is a command. It's not a suggestion. We must confess our sins to one another uh, so that we can be praying for one another. And, and it's very easy for us to think, well, my, you know, my sins really aren't that 
bad. Uh, you know, they're, they're not that serious. They're not the kind of thing that I, I need to go to somebody else about. I, I think I can, I can deal with my sin on my own um, and spare myself the embarrassment of talking to somebody else about it. Brethren, that's not what God says. God's design is that we help one another in our sins. We are robbing ourselves of the power that God has provided for us to overcome that sin if we're just going to deal with that sin by myself. Now, God's design is that we are accountable to one another, that we are able to pray for one another, encourage one another. Remember the the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. Many times we we talk about all the different parts of the armor, and then we get down to the very end. What's what's the last thing that he says? He talks about the prayers of the saints as well. That in addition to all these parts of the armor, we need the prayers of one another. Uh, to empower us, to strengthen us. Exactly what James 5 says. We are robbing ourselves of the full power uh, that God is providing for us in overcoming sin if we're not taking advantage of our brethren. There is great power in bringing our sins into the light. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and, and let's start reading here in verse 8. Verse 8 through 13, we read, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Back at the beginning of that section, he says that we are to walk as children of light. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk as children of light? I think there are a lot of different things that are involved in that. But as we look throughout the rest of this passage, we see one of the things that light is intended to do is it is intended to expose that we are to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. I don't think he's just talking about exposing it in other people's lives. Before we can be in a position to shine the light of God's truth and God's word to the lives of other people, we first of all have to expose that sin, that darkness within our own lives. Sin thrives in the darkness. You know, just, just like uh, mold and bacteria. You know, like to, to thrive in, in damp, dark places where they can uh, grow undisturbed. Sin, in the same way, thrives in the darkness. And if we want to get rid of that sin in our life, there is great power that God is providing for us in bringing that sin into the light. He says that all that it becomes visible is light. You know, when, when I have some uh, dark, room in in the back of my heart, some door that nobody else is uh, allowed to go through. I am setting myself up for failure. That's a place where sin can thrive, where the devil can do his work. But if I open up all the doors of my heart, and if I shine the light of God's truth, if I expose it all, bring it all into the light, there's no space for sin to thrive. 
First John chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing of Jesus' blood is for those who are willing to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, certainly it doesn't mean that we're living sinlessly or else there would be no need for cleansing. Um, I, I like the phrase that uh, my brother-in-law Marshall McDaniel used. He says, walking in the light does not mean we are sinless. It means we sin less and less, and when we sin, we confess. Uh, and I think that's exactly what, what uh, we're, we read here in First John. Part of walking in the light, as he goes on in verse 8 and 9, is that we confess our sins, that we bring it into the light. Uh, that we expose it by the light of truth, only then can we receive forgiveness and freedom that God provides. And we need to share that power of accountability with those that we are working with, uh, with those that are enslaved to their past sins. We need to help them feel that they can come to us with those struggles, that they can bring them into the light, uh, knowing that they can find forgiveness, that they can find healing, that they can find strength and encouragement. That um, They don't have to fear confessing their sins to us as their brother or their sister. But any time they come to us humbly and sorrowfully acknowledging their sins, they are going to leave feeling encouraged and built up. Uh, that, that's one thing uh, in working with different people uh, over the past few years that I've determined uh, is that if somebody comes to me with a sin that they're struggling with, they are not going to leave their meeting with me feeling more beat down and more discouraged about what they've done. They're going to leave their meeting with me feeling more empowered, more encouraged moving forward. If somebody has the conviction and the courage to bring a sin in their life uh, to you as, as a brother or sister in Christ, um, they're already convicted. They already know that that's wrong. And what they need from us is that encouragement. And so, in addition to this power of bringing our sins into the light of accountability that God is providing for us, we also can have that power of encouragement. We need to help struggling sinners uh, to be lifted up and encouraged with our response to their sins. Uh, and this is not to say that we gloss over the guilt of sin. It is good to feel guilt, and it is good to feel shame for our sins, to recognize the damage that our sin has done to God, that our sins put Jesus upon the cross. And in, in that sense, guilt and shame can be powerful motivators to help us do better in our service to God. But we need to realize that guilt and shame are only valuable if they are motivating us, if they are pushing us forward in our service to God. The moment that guilt and shame 
uh, are, are weighing us down and tearing us down and discouraging us from moving forward, they're no longer useful. They're not being used as a tool for God. They're being used as a tool for the devil. And so, while certainly we need to acknowledge the seriousness of our sins, we need to recognize that guilt and shame, we need to make sure that we don't stay there, but that we allow that to motivate us moving forward, that we move on to encouragement, knowing that through God's grace, through God's forgiveness, through the help of my brethren, I can grow. Through God's power, I can overcome the sin that has plagued me. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, We may be familiar with the passage here where it talks about two are better than one. Uh, Two will have a good return from their labor. Uh, If one falls down, it says, the other will point it out to them. Is that what it says? No. If one falls down, the other will tell him that he needs to get his act together. If one falls down, the other one going to tell him that he needs to stop tripping over his feet and he needs to start doing better. It says if one falls down, the other will lift him up. The value of our relationships as brethren is that we can help lift one another up. We need to make sure if somebody has fallen um, and they acknowledge it and they recognize it and they feel that guilt and that shame, um, Rebuke and reproof are no longer what are most needed in that case. Certainly if they have fallen and they are refusing to recognize it, if they're refusing to bring it into the light, yes, rebuke rebuke and reproof are what is needed. But when someone has brought their sin into the light, we need to make sure that we are prepared to lift them up. We need to be determined that every time somebody comes to us, with the sin, they are going to leave us more encouraged, more empowered, more strengthened uh, to do better moving forward. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6, we read, If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Here it says, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You know, rebuke uh, sometimes can be easy. Reproof is easy. Restoring becomes much more difficult. To help truly empower and strengthen someone to change. We need to make sure that we are ready to restore. That is, it says, bearing one another's burdens, that we're ready to, to, to get down with that person to mourn with them over their sins, to pray together with them about their sins, uh, to pick up that burden and carry it with them for a while. That's the picture that we have of dealing with those who are struggling with sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Ephesians 4, verse 29, we read, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, we read the first part of that verse, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, and we may think, well, I I have that down. Uh, You know, I I, I don't use profane language. But this is not just a negative command. It's a positive command. It goes on 
to say that we must uh, use our words for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear us. Uh, it is much harder to, to choose our words in such a way that it will help uh, encourage and build up our brethren. And it says there that our words might give grace to those who hear. What, what is grace? How, how is our speech ha- have grace in it? Many times we define grace as unmerited favor or grace as a gift. I think the the general idea here is that our words need to be carefully thought out gifts to those that we are speaking to. Just like, uh, you know, if if you're buying a gift for uh, someone's birthday, you you don't just go to the store and, uh, you know, close your eyes and and pick out the first thing that you see on the shelf and say, oh, I'll go give this to them. It doesn't work that way. Now, if you want to genuinely give them a gift... You're going to be thoughtful. What can they use? What would they appreciate? What's going to be most helpful to them? In the same way as we choose our words and seeking to encourage and seeking to restore, we need to carefully package and pick out words that are going to help them, that are going to build them up. We need to make sure that we are offering them the power of encouragement that God has provided. But it's not enough to simply give them a pep talk, a slap on the back, and then send them back out to be mauled by the devil. Uh, While that encouragement is vital, that they have courage, that they have strength moving forward, we need to further equip and empower them to fight the battle ahead. And God's Word instructs us in ways that that provide what we might call the power of fortification. (laughs) Fighting sin is not just about fighting stronger. Fighting sin is not just about having more determination and more commitment and and trying harder. Uh, Fighting sin also involves fighting smarter, fighting with wisdom, walking in wisdom as we face temptation from day to day. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Here we read in verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. But then how do we take heed that we don't fall? Well, in verse 13, he instructs us that God is always going to provide a way of escape. What what, what is God's battle plan here? I think many times when we're struggling with uh, temptations and sins, we feel like God wants me to go out and stand in the middle of Satan's barrage and plant my feet down and say, "I, I can take it. That's not God's battle plan. He says God provides us a way of escape. Many times we're standing there saying, no, I can take it, I can take it. And God is saying, get out of there. Run. Here's your way of escape. We need to make sure that we are taking the opportunity that God gives us to remove ourselves from temptation, to distance ourselves from that uh, struggle that we are dealing with. Remember the story of Joseph. 
back in Genesis 39. I believe some of the, the kids have studied this recently. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. How did Joseph handle that temptation? As Potiphar's wife comes to him day after day trying to, to seduce him and finally gets him kind of in a corner here where nobody else is in the house and, and finds him and comes and grabs his garment and says, lie with me. What, what did Joseph do? Did he say, no, I can't do that. No, that, that that's not a good idea. No, pl- please stop it. No, Joseph took off running out of there. He left his garment in her hands and ran out of the house, distanced himself from that. And brethren, that's the approach that God wants us to take. God doesn't just want us to fight stronger against temptation. Uh, you know, I, I can get right up next to it, but I'm not going to get in. No, he wants us to fortify our lives against it. To run, to flee. To make sure that we're not simply exposing ourselves to the full strength of sin's enticement, confident that we won't get in. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans 13, verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. What does that mean? Make provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. I I think that's what we do sometimes. Uh, Think about it in these terms. Uh, Let's make the temptation something uh, more uh, harmless here. Let's say you're going on a diet and you're you're being tempted to to eat food that that would violate that diet. how would you make provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires? Well, what, what we might sometimes do is, as we're craving that food, we might say, well, you know, I, I, I'll just watch this baking show for a little while um, and, and, and just look at this food. And, you know, I, I, I really need to go to the store. And while I'm there, I might just walk around the, the baking section and kind of smell what, what's going on over there. I might go look at them. And, you know, I, I think the kids would really like some of these. I, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll buy some of them and I'll bring them home so they can eat them. Uh, and before the kids get home, the entire box of whatever item it was is gone. Uh, what, what happened? Well, we made provision for the flesh. We set ourselves up for failure. And is that not what we do with sin sometimes? Deep down, that's what we really desire. Instead of distancing ourselves from it, instead of setting some roadblocks, setting some barriers between us and that sin, we say, well, I, I won't give in, but, you know, Satan, if you'd like to tempt me, you know, j- just so you know, I, I'm, I'm right here, you can tempt me, but, but I'm not going to give in. Now, God tells us to distance ourselves from them. You know, in... in uh, if it's in a, a romantic relationship, uh, you know, in, in showing affection, we want to make sure that, that we are setting some very clear boundaries, that we're not going to put ourselves in a situation where that is going to be a, a temptation for us, uh, where we are alone with our significant other. If, if it's, uh, you know, dealing with pornography, we're not going to want to be in our room alone at night surfing the internet unrestricted. We want to be setting up some barriers 
if if we're struggling with with alcoholism or drugs, we're not going to want to go to some party where where that is available. We're not going to go and hang out with the friends that we know are going to be doing those kinds of things. We set some barriers. We set some very clear barriers, uh, some roadblocks to keep us from that sin, to to give us that room uh, to to grow in that area. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty nine and thirty. Remember Jesus just after he talks about uh, adultery in the heart. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You know, your eye is a really good thing. It can do a lot of good. Later on, he talks about cutting off your hand and throwing it. Your hand is a very good thing. It can accomplish a lot of good things. And yet, the principle that Jesus is teaching us is that it doesn't matter what type of sacrifice you need to make. It doesn't matter how good you think that is. If it is causing you to sin, it needs to go. If we are truly going to take advantage of the power that God is providing for us, We're going to be willing to make some sacrifices. And we cannot convince ourselves that we're truly doing everything to overcome this sin if we're not willing to take those steps. That is the power that God has provided, and we are robbing ourselves of that power if we do not uh, take these steps to fortify our lives against sin. Sin is too serious to go halfway. We must have a full commitment to overcome the enslavement of these sins within our lives. We must draw some very clear boundaries. If it means not associating with certain people that we once associated in the past, it means if, if it means not going to certain places that we've gone to in the past, if it means setting up a, a filter or some accountability software on every device in my house, on my phone, if that's what it takes, that's what I need to do. And I can't convince myself, I I can't deceive myself into thinking that I'm truly committed to overcoming the sin if there are steps that I'm not willing to take. We need to fortify our lives against the power of sin because that's the power that God has provided. He wants us to flee. He wants us to take that way of escape. But it's not just about fleeing. In addition, it's about pursuing something. The power of a spiritual focus within our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul instructed Timothy, flee youthful lusts. But he doesn't stop there. He then says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, again, after talking about how money, uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. In verse 11, Paul writes, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Yes, we must flee. But it's not enough just to flee. If we don't have some very clear direction that we're running, if we don't have something that we're pursuing after, what we're going to end up doing, we're going to start running around in circles until before we know it, we're right back where we start. We need to have something to pursue as well, a clear spiritual direction, a greater and more fulfilling purpose in life. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. 
Luke chapter 11, here Jesus tells a parable about uh, casting out an unclean spirit. In verse 24 through 26, we read, When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. If all it is that we do is cast out the spirit, if all it is that we do is, is flee, is, is try to remove this from our hearts, but we don't fill our hearts with something else, if our hearts are vacant, what's going to happen? The devil is going to come back in, uh, and the last state of the man is going to be worse than the first. We need to fill our hearts with something else, something more powerful, something greater. We need to remove the fleshly lust and fill them with a spiritual fulfillment. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 makes this contrast between flesh and spirit. Paul writes, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. We can't just stifle the desires of the flesh. It's not enough that we simply set up roadblocks or barriers between ourselves and that sin, uh, trying to, to just stifle the, the, the desires, but as we have, have given ourselves that space from the temptation, we need to use that to fill our lives with something else. We need to focus, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Uh, as Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 2, there, there's a contrast between broken cisterns and a fountain of living water. Fleshly desires are that broken cistern. That not only does it just have a, a, a limited uh, amount uh, or limited capacity, but it's broken. The more that, that you fill it up, the more it's going to leak out the other side. Filling our fleshly desires are like that. Have you ever given in to a fleshly desire and had lasting fulfillment? Not once. No, what happens is it promises to fill you up, but it leaves you empty. leaves you broken. God promises something much greater, an unlimited supply. And his presence is fulfillment forevermore, fullness of life. And so we need to refocus on those spiritual things, allow the Spirit to fill us up with life, with true joy, true hope, true peace. How do we do that? I think the most foundational way is that we spend time in God's Word, that we spend time cultivating a relationship with Him and communication with Him. Psalm 119, verse 11, we read, Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. That means we need to set aside time in our life to pursue God. Set aside time for personal study, personal devotion, personal prayer. And more than that, set aside time to, to do that with our families. 
to keep one another accountable in that, to read the Bible together, to pray together, to, to worship together, to seek out the support of our spiritual family as well. God has designed the assembly that we might fill ourselves up, uh, that we might stir one another up to love and good works, being built up in our worship and our study together. And so we need to take these opportunities on a personal level with our families, with our brethren in the assemblies. We need to take every opportunity that we have to fill our lives up with these spiritual desires, these spiritual longings for God instead of the fleshly lusts that only leave us empty. You know, we were talking earlier about the power of fortification. We, We might very quickly think about Ephesians 6, the armor of God. How do you put on the armor of God? We think about all the different pieces. We might think about the belt of truth. Where do we get the truth? John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What about the breastplate of righteousness? Well, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13 calls God's word the word of righteousness. Roman talks about how it reveals to us the righteousness of God. What about the preparation of the gospel of peace? Find the gospel within God's word. What about faith? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What about the helmet of salvation? Do not receive that through the gospel. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, the Word of God is, is our access point, if you will, to the armor of God. Uh, and if we want to take full advantage of what God has given to us, we need to be filling our lives with this. The closer that we draw to God, the more intimate that we are with Him in communication, allowing Him to communicate to us, communicating to Him constantly each day, and the closer that we draw to our brethren, being accountable to one another, the harder it will be for the devil to reach us. The closer you are to the shepherd, the harder it is for the lion to get you. The more packed in you are with the other sheep, the less likely you are to be the one who is uh, mauled by the devil. What about you today? Are you in captivity to sin? You may say, well, no, I, I, I was baptized. I've been forgiven. Yes, you may have been cleansed of that guilt, but, but have we gone on to live under the reign of grace instead of the reign of sin and of death? Is there some sin still in some back door of my heart that I have not confessed to anyone? Something that is going on in those dark places that is thriving, that is growing, that I need to bring the light in. And I need to allow God to wipe away. If you recognize this afternoon that there's something in your life that needs to be brought into life, maybe that needs to be brought into the light, uh, maybe it's not of such a nature that you need to, to bring it before these brethren. Maybe you need to talk to one of your brothers or sisters individually. Maybe you need to talk to your spouse about it. Well, the pattern that the Bible gives us is that we need to bring that sin into the light. And maybe there is someone here 
who recognize that they need the prayers of these brethren. They need the prayers of the saints to fully equip that armor uh, in their desire to serve God. If you recognize that there's some change that needs to be made in your life, uh, there's nothing that we desire more than to help you make that change. If we can help you in any way, please let us know at this time.